Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Fam, before we get to the show, we're so excited to tell you. All right, can I tell them? Tell them, tell them, tell them. All right, fam, we have uploaded our live show from Obsessed Fest to the Patreon feed. It's at the $5 level, and this is the video. This is not audio. We're right. talking the you can see. The dancers. The, the dancers. <laughs> we, if you don't know, we opened with our Broadway dancers, this big surprise opening number. The, yeah. the, the audience in Columbus didn't know Had we were no doing idea. it. no idea. We lied to their faces and panels before the show. <laughs> that the dancers weren't coming. And we covered Killer Roll. There's a whole thing with Keith Morrison. Yes. It is wild. It's at the $5 tier. So if, you, if you're if you on the Patreon, you can go and get it right now. If you aren't on the Patreon, just go to our website, truecrimeobsessed.com. Click on the Patreon link. Join. You get 350 full ad-free bonus episodes and this live show. In its entirety. Like In the video whole, form. Like, I want to be clear. Yeah, video like form. You can watch the show like, oh, like Netflix and chill. Whatever. No, right, no, no, no. no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, TCO, yeah. Patreon, <laughs> and chill. Whatever you want to do. Watch like, it. Yeah, if you weren't at Obsessed Fest or if you were and you want to relive the glory, <laughs> but if you weren't there and you want to see what it was like, you want to sort of experience, like feel it. And it was edited professionally, yes. multi-angles. So we've got like three different angles. It's not just like a clear, straight on shot. Yes, it's really, it's a, it's a thing. It's like a performance of a performance. And it's the audio thing. is perfect. We got the audio from the soundboard. It's oh, so professional. Oh my God. So patreon.com slash you obsessed or go to our website, click on the Patreon link and go join away. Yeah. Have fun. Get, yeah. get your popcorn. She had right. it coming. Bump, bump. She had it. That's the opening number. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, bye. Okay, enjoy. You know, I'm from Massachusetts, and the Bordens are everywhere. I went to high school with Bordens. What? Yeah, and they're all related. They're all, like, descended. What? I can't. I got out of high school by the skin of my teeth, girl. Did we get to the bottom of this or what? I I don't know. Okay, great. Here we go. Hi, Jillian Bentavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Bam, it's our first recording since Obsessed Fest. Can you tell? Because my voice is just coming back. <laughs> I still, I mean, fingers crossed for this episode. I don't I know. even know the words that are coming out I know. of my mouth. We're and I say still that. exhausted. Did you have the best time? I was, I was going to say, I say that in the best way possible. It was incredible. We are going to do an after party all about Obsessed Fest, and we're going to put it in the regular feed so everyone can hear oh, what fun. it was like, yeah, how, yeah, what, yeah. what we did. Yeah. I have no words. I want to thank everybody who came. Yeah. I want to thank everybody who witnessed it from afar. Year one. This is an episode, by the way, if your partners who can't stand me are around, get them to listen to this one, because I can't really scream that much. Oh, great. Okay, this is a good, good one idea. to introduce them nice. to. Life hack for it's, listening to TCO. It's a TCO life <laughs> hack. Fam, join us on the Patreon if you haven't. Over 350 full ad-free bonus episodes. you got to tell them what they are. Yeah, well, we well, all of them. Okay. Yeah. <gasps> okay. <laughs> um, that we just finished Bad Vegan. We're doing Hillsong right now. We did uh, Wild Crime, yeah. Murder Among the Mormons, The Vow, Don't F with Cats, Tiger King, Heaven's Gate, The Gacy Thing on Peacock. Yeah, Serial Season 1. Yeah, that's all of them. No, just kidding. No. There's uh, <laughs> 30 episodes of Making a Murder, just about 82 episodes of Relentless. Oh my God, it goes on forever. Yeah, tons of stuff for you. Follow us on the TikTok if you want to like see the shenanigans in the booth, but also like from Obsessed Fest. Yes. Follow us on TikTok. It's True Crime Obsessed Pod. Also, if you want to really get the inside scoop of Obsessed Fest, Follow us on Instagram. It's at Obsessed Fest. Yes, yes, yes. We saved like over 200 stories in the story highlights. Oh, fun. And you can just go through like starting from me like walking in the door incredible. through me like leaving at like the very end of the day on oh, Sunday. Oh, incredible. Yeah, follow us on Obsessed Fest. It's also going to be the place where we're going to drop news about when tickets for year two go on sale, yep. which is sooner than you which think. Is sooner than you think. So just get in there. That's where the party's going to be for the Obsessed Fest. Okay, great. Can't wait. Okay, we love you. Bye. <laughs> but stick around. Stick around. 
All right, girl, what are we talking about today? The 48 Hours episode covering Lizzie Borden titled Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. How about that stupid the, fucking creepy poem that I hate. And at the end of this, they make all the experts recite the poem. It is wrong. It is categorically <laughs> inaccurate. It, it is inaccurate. And I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't like anything about it. They have like little kids singing it or I whatever. Know. Gross. I just can't believe I went to high school with Bordens. It's crazy. Wait. Real, like, I was so, I want to like ask so many questions about that, but we yeah. don't really have that we don't have time. time. Okay. It is a morning like so many other mornings in a small town in New England. A father, a stepmother, uh, living with his two adult daughters. Lizzie was seen by the next door neighbor, and the neighbor asked, What's the matter? And she announces that her father has been killed. Law enforcement personnel arrived and found a gruesome murder. Two bodies, a lot of blood. There is a husband downstairs, 10 wounds to his head. And almost half of his face is obliterated. And just on the second floor was his wife. When someone is struck multiple times with a hatchet to the head, that's personal. They say right at the top, this crime was so violent, many thought Jack the Ripper had come to I America. Know. Isn't that wild? But someone also says, like, everything we do, we're all wrong. All of us are wrong about this case. <laughs> you know, I gotta tell you, I didn't know the outcome of this case until I watched this. I had no idea, like, what happened. I just, well, I'm, I don't want to give anything away, but I was wrong about what happened. Oh, I'm so glad you know what happened. Yeah, did you, did you know? Nobody does. Uh, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> so, Erin Moriarty is here, and she's like this seasoned journalist, and I I thought when she was told she was going to go cover the Lizzie Borden case, do you think she was like, oh, for fuck's sake? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Also, all I can think of is Moriarty from Sherlock. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You watch the weirdest TV. Say that one more. Say that to their faces. <laughs> Sherlock is not weird TV. <laughs> So they say this is the conceit of this episode. Tonight we're taking a fresh look at this cold case. It's a really cold case, they tell us. But essentially the way this episode is laid out, I thought it was kind of hokey and stupid. It was. And then I got, I was like, wait, this is kind of interesting. And then I was like, no, this is hokey and stupid. Yeah. To help get to the bottom of this mystery, we brought together a team of paid consultants two extremely experienced lawyers and equally seasoned investigators. They get two attorneys, a prosecutor and a defense attorney, and two crime scene investigators to reinvestigate this case, and then they present it to a brand new 2020 jury. Like a jury from the year 2020. Right. And there's only eight of them. And they just keep reminding us that everyone's being paid. I don't know who 48 Hours hurt, but Erin Moriarty says, again, our paid consultant. Yeah, 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 yeah. She really wants us to know. I just was like, 48 Hours has never done anything like this before. They're re not just investigating they're re-litigating the Lizzie Borden case. With air quotes. And we actually see the actual chair that actual Lizzie Borden I sat know. in for the actual trial. I know. What the fuck? It's crazy. It's wild. You didn't know anything about that chair from the Bordens? No. What were, like, how far removed from Lizzie from were they? Lizzie, it's one of those weird things you kind of don't ask, but, oh. like, I asked if, I remember, I can't remember the You're the girls. one person who didn't ask them that. I that know. They must but have loved you. They were definitely related, but they're, like, second, third cousins, that kind oh, of thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, crazy. Wow. So we learned about the crime. It was 1892. The defendant was 32-year-old Lizzie Borden. Yes. She's the daughter. We're in Fall River, Massachusetts. Which I lived for a year, a town over in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Ironically, not where I went to school with the Bordens. I went to school with Bordens on Cape Cod 
Cloud where I like did most of my oh. growing up. But I lived one town over from Fall River for a solid year of my life. Who don't you know? Who, know. who are you not? Who are you not connected to? Is Never anybody? met Julia Roberts. There was that one time Val Kilmer came to my hotel. Oh yeah, and he had the pancakes and he liked them so much that he came into the kitchen and insisted on coming and giving compliments that. to the chef. I love that. That Absol- really happened. Yeah, I love that. Right? Absolutely true. Look story. at TikTok and tell them that that fucking happened. I love that. Absolutely true story. <laughs> So we meet this author, Kara Robertson. Yeah. She's been stu- <laughs> what, yeah. What's your beef with Kara? She says some stuff a little she later does. where I'm like, et tu, Kara? I don't <laughs> We'll get there. Well, she like did her thesis on Lizzie Borden and then spent 30 years turning it into a book. She wrote the book on Lizzie Borden. She literally, literally. wrote the book. Yeah. So let's get down to it. Yeah. Right? We're yeah. in Fall River, Massachusetts. It's 1892. Prominent local businessman Andrew Borden was wealthy but also frugal choosing to live here, just a block from the center of town. The house is modest, even by 1890s standards, with almost no indoor plumbing or gas lighting. He was cheap. Wealthy, yet frugal. (laughs) At one point, Moriarty's just like, just say he was cheap. (laughs) And Kara's like, yeah. Kara wants to be like the most quoted person here. Yes, yes. And so Abby was his second wife and Lizzie's stepmom. Which is a... And they're the victims here. Because if you know the the poem, it's like... Lizzie Gordon took an axe and gave her mother 40 whack. When she seen what she had done, she gave her father 41. Abby was not her mother. Abby was her stepmother. That's right. a very important piece to the story. That's falsity number one in yes. this uh, poem, air quotes. Yeah. Now, one of the ways they show us that the dad was frugal was that they say he lived in this kind of like crappy house, like right on the outskirts of town, like walking distance to downtown. Now, I've seen this house my whole life. This house is a beautiful house. Right. But no indoor plumbing and no gas. Like yeah. things that he could have paid for, he actively chose not to pay for. But also like his adult daughters live at home with him. Like Lizzie is 32 and Emma, the older sister, is older. I don't know how much older. Yeah. But like, and I know it was like 1892. I know it was like a different time and maybe you didn't move out until you got married or whatever but like if you don't like it there's the door Ooh. you know what I mean you're gonna say if- that to Lizzie's face <laughs> after everything we've been through <laughs> but Lizzie Borden I don't mean to be a dick but like if you want indoor plumbing go get it oh. <laughs> shots fired <laughs> But do you disagree? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. I don't. I'm just saying, like, Get the job, dad Lizzie. sounded like a cheap bastard, kind of a grumpy curmudgeon. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he was cheap to some people and not cheap to others. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Which true. I resent the fuck out of this the, this movie <laughs> do does. Too. I don't like it. I love when Aaron Moriarty calls him cheap. I was like, Aaron. Because she says to Kara, just say he was cheap. Get, get Stop down trying to talk in, in paragraphs and, and flowery talk, Kara. Yeah. Enough. But now then she says, the house is, quote, oddly enough, So this is it. Is now a bed and breakfast and restored in the style of the time. So Aaron says that the house today is oddly enough a bed and breakfast. And I'm like, oddly enough? Well, of course it is. Here's of course the thing. it is. The house is still standing. The house was never demolished. It was never knocked down. People have lived in that house since the time of the Bordens, right? Yeah. And yes, like this is the thing. It's been turned into a bed and breakfast. And not just that. It's like a time capsule. It's like from a museum. Like, There's like, they're like framed crime scene photos. That, it's all like very tacky. All. There's like a whole china cabinet in the middle of the room downstairs that has like a replica of the skull of like the- The, the victims. The, the, the murder <laughs> victims. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. No. We, we don't do this. It's 
really bad. I looked up the bed and breakfast today. Just yeah. to see, like it looks cute as hell. If it didn't represent what it represents, it is a time capsule of 1892, and all the rooms are the same. Like you can sleep in the room where Abby was murdered. No. You can have like breakfast in the room where the dad was murdered. Let me ask you a very important question. Yeah. Am I sharing a bathroom? Yes. There's only two bathrooms in the no house. No ensuite? I'm not going. <laughs> no, I know. I'm also not going for a thousand reasons. Framed crime scene well, photos? Nope. No. All, all of those trashy reasons and the bathroom, but guess what else? No alcohol allowed on the premises. Says who? <laughs> says the, says what are you going to frisk me? Get out of here. <laughs> what, what is Kara running this? No fun Kara? I bring what I want I know. where I want. I, I How agree dare with you. you? I, I, no, I know. I know. 1892. Who needs it? But the point is, Aaron Moriarty is bringing one of the crime scene investigators, annoyingly also named Aaron, to the house to, like, examine the crime scene. Aaron didn't do that. I'm not mad at them. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. When you tell a story, it is hard. It's when true. it's, like, four Joes yes. and two Johns, oh and it's, like, Joe, and one, Joe 1 and Joe 2. Remember totally. uh, Wild Crime? Yes. We were, like, Joe 1 <laughs> and Joe 2. Sorry, we just met Joe 1 first. He got number one. That's it. But the point is, Aaron, the crime scene investigator, actually can see the room in the state that it was in on the day of the murder. Because, like, that's how it's replicated. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know? And then Kara says, she t- starts telling us about Lizzie Borden. Yeah. She goes, Lizzie Borden is a fairly unremarkable woman. She was unmarried. She was active in her local church. You know, unmarried, went I to church. Know. At two, Kara? <laughs> We're still fucking doing this? She's no, so unremarkable because she's not married? Fuck off. And, like, was it that unusual to be unmarried at 32? It doesn't matter. Like, I know. But, like, if we're going to if we're gonna move this case into 2020, yes, to yes. the year 2020, don't call an unmarried woman unremarkable. I totally agree. Also, I, there, like, there are some reports that Lizzie was potentially having an affair with Bridget, the housemaid. Oh. So it could be that she wasn't married because she was gay. Like, that's that a I very love. possible thing. Yeah. So now we learn about Lizzie's older sister, Emma. And yeah. we learned that Emma was sort of like a maternal figure in Lizzie's life. We don't know when the mom left or died. We don't know much about the mom at all. We don't know anything about that, but we do learn about Abby, who was like, she's either an evil stepmother or the nicest person in the house, and there's no one between. Yeah. <laughs> According to this document, she's one or the other. Who knows? Yeah. The one thing I want to say about Emma, the sister, is that we know she couldn't have done the murders because she'd been out of town visiting friends for two weeks when the murders happened. Oh, okay. Do you think Kara would call her remarkable? Because <laughs> she had friends? That's a heavy word. It I think she's trying to use the like the jargon of the time. I don't think she. I don't think Kara thinks she's unremarkable. And that's what but Aaron, I'm here to hate Kara. You, know? you just say the word. But that's why Aaron Moriarty's like, just say cheap. I know, right? Like, just, if we're gonna yeah. move this into 2020, Kara, you need to come along with us. Would you like to come into the year 2020 <laughs> with me? I gotta tell you, it's not a great year. So if you want to stay in 1892, we're picking between 1892 and the year 2020. Yeah. Who knows? I'm going back to 1890. If I'm I flipping to, that coin, if honestly. I had to do 2020 all over again, pandemic year, I'd go right back to 1890. Really? Absolutely. No question about it. All right. Call me when you get there. I get to be friends with gay Bridget the maid. <laughs> Let me know you got there safely. Totally. <laughs> call me when you get there. So it's the day of the crime. It's August 4th, 1982. Or as Kara says, August the 4th. Kara? <laughs> you hate I don't her. Know what... <laughs> I don't like when women, like, unremarkable. I'm sticking, I'm really I'm... stuck on unremarkable. Yes. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> anyway, it was August 4th. It's August the 4th, 1982. Lizzie is standing at the side door of the house and tells the neighbor, Adelaide Churchill, that her father has been killed. Right. So the neighbor comes over immediately. The neighbor comes over directly and sees... Absolutely no blood. Nothing on her face, her hands, her clothing. Nothing. She seems perfectly 
presented. There's no blood on Lizzie. The only place in the house, and this is like a through line, we talk about this a lot, the only blood connected to this crime at all is right around the victim, the father on the couch and the stepmother upstairs in the room. And... Two other places. Yes. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. So we walk into the living room the way the police would have. Yeah. Like through the kitchen. Because we learn eventually that the front door is locked and the back door is locked. The only way into the house is through the side door. And we sort of follow the camera like as though it's the day of the murder because it looks exactly like it. And like to the couch where the dad was found with his face bludgeoned in. Right. And the couch that's there now is a replica of the couch he was on. It's wild. So crazy. And so they say like, where's Abby, the stepmom? Yeah. What's going on? And Lizzie goes, you know what? I actually, I think I heard her come in. Yeah. That's weird. She must, she's here somewhere. I just don't know where yeah. she, and all the commotion. I guess they she got lost. They keep talking about like how this house is so small and cramped. It's a big fucking house. It's one of those beautiful Massachusetts, yes. like old timey houses. It's England square. Yeah. Ha- it's like, they're amazing. I guess for five people, it still feels big. Uh, yeah. And like, it's all like outhouses or whatever. But all of those houses are so small. Like the doorways are really narrow. Totally. The ceilings aren't very high. <laughs> I'm sure if we were in there now, we'd be like, whoa, low ceilings. <laughs> Unremarkable <laughs> house. It's a ceiling fit for an unremarkable uh, woman. Unremarkable hag. <laughs> Unmarried. No Spencer. kids either. I, also at 32. I wasn't married at 32. Oh my God. I was pretty remarkable. I'm not having kids ever. Sure. Take that, Kara. <laughs> Kara. It's as though you think Kara killed the Bordens. I felt personally attacked by Kara in some weird way, so I'm giving it right back to her. Kara, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're lovely. So Bridget the maid and Adelaide Churchill the neighbor, they go upstairs and they find Abby Borden. This right over here is where Abby Borden was found dead, face down. That scene is, if anything, more horrible. Abby suffered 19 blows. Uh, She's face down. Much of her, the back of her head has been hacked. The back of her head had been like, they say, hacked away. Which also, so 19 blows, which means that stupid, creepy song is total bullshit. Yes. That song seems like the first really sensationalized move in true crime where it's like, it's bad enough. Don't lie about it. No, and it's also like, and I'm not making a joke here. The number is not the rhyme. You could have said Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 19 wax. Right. And after all was said and done, gave her father 21 or whatever. Like, those are the actual numbers. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Just Or or don't make a creepy rhyme about a murder. Don't Double do, murder. Right. I mean, they didn't have TV, Jelly. What were they supposed to do? I guess that. Or the internet. Or the internet. You know I mean? Sure, you want to go back to 1892? <laughs> Can you imagine? What would I do all day? Nothing. Honestly, what would my day be like Wine. if I lived in- <laughs> Complain. <laughs> Not too different from what we do today. Yeah, it's like I, I wouldn't be missing out on anything. Yeah. I wish I could narrate it, though. There's Patrick back in 1892. <laughs> I mean, Let's watch him try to get some water from down the way. <laughs> Is there a well? Do you have to go to a well? Uh oh. <laughs> Inclement weather approaches. Let's see what Patrick does now. What do I do with this top hat? It doesn't really fit my head. It seems that Patrick doesn't know how to use the umbrella that's in his right hand. Let's see what happens. I have this walking stick and a top hat. So it's a lot of that, everyone. Shall we move on? <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've. That's the funniest game we've ever played. That is so funny. I can't handle it. So the assumption is they say that like right away the assumption is that the murderer must have been some sort of like deranged outsider, but it becomes clear that nobody was spotted in the vicinity. So the suspicion immediately falls to the people who were in the house that day. And all the doors of the house were triple locked. Yeah. They say the cops. Does it sound familiar, Adnan? Mm. The cops need to find a suspect, so they quickly like fixated on Lizzie Borden as an obvious choice. Well, obviously. And so the news of the murder spreads really quickly. It's all over the papers. Everyone's talking about what happened. It's front page news 
news across the country. And the cops get to work, I mean, in the way that they can right. in 1892. Because like, what are they really supposed to do? Honestly, unless you saw the person who did the murders, you're all kind of fucked. They're, like, I could say the words DNA <laughs> or the letters about? DNA. They'd be like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. She's a witch! Murder! Right. Hanger! <laughs> they don't know any, they don't no. know forensics. Like, forensics was barely a thing, if anything. And somebody says, like, yeah, and, like, because of that, this is the perfect time for somebody to get away with a crime like this. I'm like, sir, that's exactly why we had fucking serial killers up until 2001. Right. California was barely a safe place to go until 15 years ago. They also, much like the Ramsey house, let everyone in town traipse all over the place. Exactly. Besides police, the Borden house was crowded with doctors, reporters, neighbors, and even several passersby. So anything, really, that was discovered at that crime scene was seriously compromised because we don't know when or by whom it was deposited. Doctors, reporters, neighbors, passersby just walking in. See, this is what I'd be doing. Yeah. I'd be walking up and down the avenue. All looking the murders? For some, no, not the murders. Oh. But I'd be looking for some like something to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, because if somebody got murdered in that house, I probably would wonder in 1892, Patrick, can't find a gay bar. Nobody knows how to make a fucking Cosmo. The Indigo Girls just started recording two days ago. <laughs> Patrick doesn't know this. He's about to walk in on the crime scene at Lizzie Borden's house. Let's watch. Does anybody know if there's a bar in here? I need a, co I need a Cosmo. Patrick doesn't seem to realize what's happening around him. <laughs> this happens again throughout. Is there a bathroom? I can't seem to find indoor plumbing. As you can see, Patrick just stepped over <laughs> excuse an me. entire crime scene. Sorry, excuse me, sir. <laughs> oh my God. But the entire crime scene is compromised, but they don't know that because they right. don't know any better. Yeah. But the only thing they discover is that Abby was killed first. That's what they sort of figure out and from the crime scene. And by a bit of a stretch, because like th they say, now this is a pretty graphic description, yeah. so gird your loins, yeah. but they say the dad downstairs on the couch was so recently killed. His death was so recent that his injuries were noted to have been oozing wet liquid blood. He was also warm to the touch. On the other hand, Abby, who was upstairs, had matted, coagulated blood, dark blood on her injuries. She was also cold to the touch. All of the blood on her body was dried and like right. coagulated, which takes some time. Now, the big thing to point out here is that like if the dad was killed so recently and we think Lizzie did it, how is she not covered in blood? The wall's not covered That's in blood. The, the floor is not covered. In, there's no blood anywhere on anybody. Exactly. So here's Lizzie's side of the story according to her testimony. Which she gives five days later. Right. Five people were in the house. Yes. Lizzie, her two parents, the housemaid, Bridget, and Lizzie's uncle, John. John Morris. Yeah. So John is the dad's brother-in-law. And he's visiting from out of town. He's staying in a guest room. And we learned that he woke up that morning, like, hours before the murders and left to visit relatives in town. So he wasn't there when the murders happened, right. we think. But he was staying there and then not staying. He was, I like, around. Like, yeah. Look, if we're if Marilyn Mosby's calling people back in to rule them out properly, I'd yeah. like her to have a sit down with this guy. Would you mind talking to him on your way and your <laughs> journey back to 1892? <laughs> Absolutely. Would you do me that favor? Okay, good. I got a lot of questions for this guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not convinced Lizzie did this. I'm not either. Okay. We never hear from him again. No. And it just seems like... He smartly stayed away from the scene. Because, honestly, Lizzie is a very good suspect because she's the only person there, and we'll find out that she does kind of have a motive yes, down yes. the road. Yeah. But again, where's the blood? Like, if her dad was freshly killed when she went to get the neighbor, and I did some side-googing on this yeah. just to, like, make sure the timeline's a little fuzzy. Like, nobody... You know, they can't really determine the time of death, and they don't right. really know exactly when she went to get the neighbor. But if the dad had been killed so recently that his, that his wounds are fresh... Yeah. Lizzie Borden does not have time to like get bloody in an outfit killing her dad and change before going to get the neighbors. And then getting rid of that outfit. Yeah. 
Exactly. I agree. So that's, you know, Lizzie makes a good suspect, but that's the big piece of evidence as to why she didn't do this. Right. And so take all of these times with a grain of salt. Yeah. So here's the timeline according to, like, what the cops think happened. Right. At 9.30 in the morning, Abby, the stepmom, was up in the guest room where John was staying. Yeah. Sort of tidying his bed. The police believe at 9.30 she was bludgeoned and fell and died. Right. Now, they say that the dad... Andrew returned home at 10.45 greeting both the housekeeper and Lizzie, and then retired to that sitting room to take a nap on the couch. According to the medical examiner, 45 minutes later, Andrew Borden was also dead. 45 minutes after 1045, so like 1130, is when he was killed. And then it's about noon when she goes to get the neighbor. Here's what's very strange about this to me. Lots of things are. But like Lizzie says that her dad came home, said hi to her and the maid, and then went to sleep. Meaning that he didn't go upstairs to say hi to his wife? Correct. There's also a story not in this episode that like she says when he went to like lay down on the couch, she helped him take his boots off. Okay. But in the crime scene photos, he's wearing the boots. Oh. So that's an inconsistency. Consistency. Yeah, there's no, a lot here. It, it could be that that's the thing she did every day, and so she just remembered that she did. She doesn't of give course. her story until five days later, so sure. who knows? Who knows? You know? But they say, but like, if you put all this math together, it means Abby, the stepmom, would have been dead upstairs for two hours. And then by the, the dad time the comes dad home and just like walks and collapses straight onto the couch and doesn't say hello to his wife. I mean, I wouldn't climb a flight of stairs every morning to say hi to Steve. <laughs> You wouldn't, like, acknowledge each other in the house? Not if we lived in, like, a big house like that. But I thought it was teeny tiny. See? (laughs) Consistencies throughout. Okay, the police think they know the when and the how, but what what about the why? What's the motive? Right, so we learned that Lizzie and her sister were super pissed at their dad. Lizzie and her sister, Emma, both really desired to live a way better life, and they really resented their father for not providing that for them. Emma and Lizzie, quote, wanted to live a better life. Now, we have to give some grace to the fact that, like, as a woman in 1892, maybe you just couldn't just move out on your own. I mean, certainly some women did do that. Emma and Lizzie didn't do that. They knew their dad had a ton of money and wasn't spending it to, like, make their lives easier. And they were mad. For things like that everyone else around them had, like, utilities. And indoor plumbing. You know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I gotta say, like, coming from Massachusetts, going to poop outside in December would be terrible. Horrifying. You know what I mean? But the thing that would really piss me off, which I understand because these women are pissed too, he gave the money he had to bail out his wife's half-sibling. So we don't fully get the story on this. Now, the dad had a lot more money than just that. Yes. But according to this documentary, Abby's sister Half-sister. Half-sister was in some sort of like financial situation. Right. So he buys her a house or whatever. And he puts it in Abby's name so like Abby would get everything. And if I'm Lizzie or Emma, I'm like, so we don't have gas but this person gets a house? Yeah. Yeah, but maybe the story there is that, like, the dad is bad because they never would go to get jobs. Like, maybe the dad was like, if you'd work a day in your... Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, we, we don't get that information but in But if he had a history of being frugal, he yeah. was doing that with everyone. Or cheap. Totally. He's just a cheap bastard. So, put a pin in the motive. We'll come back to that more in a minute. Because the police are saying, like, again, we're back to the blood evidence. These killings were brutal. There's no blood anywhere, but they say there is blood in two places. A minute spot on one of Lizzie's undergarments and a bucket of bloody cloths in the cellar washroom. Lizzie gave them a very personal explanation for both. She was menstruating. 
Now, Lizzie tells the cops, well, I'm on my period. And the cops are like, ew, gross. Right. And then never talked about it again. Yeah. And they make the point now, the obvious point, that if we had DNA, we'd be able to know if that blood was actually Lizzie's or was it the dad's or Abby's. But they had no way of knowing at the time. A woman says menstruating and the cops go running for the hills. But also, let me say something. Yeah. Period blood is not the same as murder blood. Oh, is that right? Yeah. No, it like it looks different. It feels different. It smells different. It's not the same. Yeah. Like it's not the same kind of blood. Like it's your blood, but it's like people who who have their periods that you understand what I'm saying. I was just going to say that the cops at the time probably didn't know that. Had no idea. Had no idea at all. But like you would be able to tell if, you know. Now you'd be able to tell. If there's one fucking woman on the police force back in the day. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't come from you. Yeah, of course. People who menstruate, you get it. Totally. So, continuing the conversation about the blood evidence and the possibility that Lizzie was having her period, just a reminder that there were bloody clothes in the cellar is the point here. Right. Could they have been Lizzie's murder clothes? We'll never know. And we also learn... Also puzzling and very suspicious, Lizzie's choice to burn a dress in the kitchen stove the day after her father's funeral. Lizzie and Emma claimed that the dress had been stained with paint and it needed to be burned and... They thought that was as good a time as any. Now, Lizzie and her sister say that she spilled paint on it. Right. So the only way to get rid of the paint or the dress or whatever was to burn it. My thing about this is, like, maybe people aren't thinking about things like this, but, like, you know that's going to make you look guilty, right? Like, maybe just put the dress with the paint on it in a closet and deal with it in a year. Yeah. Don't do that, like, five days after your dad's been brutally murdered in your home. I got to tell you, I really, like, (laughs) am recovering from Obsessed Fest. Yeah. It was not a traumatic event. Yeah. And I'm still sort of, like, getting my bearings. (laughs) Totally. Walking in on your parents' brutally murdered, yes. I probably would be doing shit that doesn't make any sense to yeah, anybody that's else. True. Where I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I'll just burn it. Yeah. Like, it, it might make, like, I, have, I don't have the brain capacity to get, like, the Tide Pod. I'm just Pat- going to fucking burn Patrick, it. Patrick, why are you burning the dishes? I don't know. I'm obsessed with I'm long. burning it in the tub. <laughs> because I don't feel like it. <laughs> so, there's part of me that's like, I maybe I get it. I don't know. Yeah. They also didn't have Tide Pods in 1892. I mean, I think the bottom line is, like, there's no way to know. Uh, well, yeah. There's just no, and we've had a hundred years. I know. We've got 130 years to think about this. And that timeline is like, who told you 845 <laughs> to 1030? Come on. Really? I know. Story I, know. Holes I mean, honestly, hours. unless you saw the guy or the gal do the murder, there, you're, no one's There's, ever going to know. No. And it's so crazy. Like, if they had saved those clothes as evidence, we could maybe test it today. Who knows? I don't know. You yeah, know? like, would they even... Yeah, who knows? Uh, someone, Somewhere, someone, some crime scene tech is like, you think you can test for blood evidence 140 years later? I think they later? gave a shit to no, keep it. I know. <laughs> there must be a lot of times people who know about things we're talking about are just banging their heads into walls when they're listening to our episodes. Do you not read your DMs? Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> then the cops find a handleless hatchet, which we learn is a blade of a hatchet, but no handle. So I'm like, oh, so it's not just a clever name. Got it. <laughs> no. And that's the thing. They find a hatchet in the basement that's been discarded sort of like in this box of tools. And it's like covered in ash. And they're saying that like, A, they say that the handle, this part where the handle broke off, they say it's recent. I don't know how they'd be able to tell that. But they Please. also say that it looks like it had been dropped in ash. What they're trying to say is that it's about three and a half inches of a cutting blade. And that seemed consistent with the wounds on Andrew and Abby's 
body. This is the, about the size of blade that was used to kill them. And it has like fresh ash on it as though somebody washed it and then like dropped it in a pile of ash to sort of take off any other evidence right. or make it look old like it hasn't been, like the blow poke of it all. You oh, know what God, I mean? God. So is it the murder weapon? <laughs> right. Who is it the knows? murder weapon? I say yes. Probably. You know what I, I mean? I don't know. I, but also we will just have no way of knowing how common a hatchet was. A handleless ha- hatchet. It could just be that everybody has a fucking hatchet in their basement in New England in 1892. And isn't there ash all over the place in yes. those basements with no. the furnace? I mean, I, truly. When I were, I grew up for like the first couple of years of my life, we had a wood-burning stove and there was ash everywhere. See? We had a literal pile of ash in our backyard. Really? So ash is very common in a house like that. Like a wood-burning stove is probably what they had to heat the house. See? Yeah. Wood-burning stoves are amazing, by the way. Yeah. Pizza. <laughs> you-, <laughs> you make pizza in them. <laughs> You, Not Domino's. You need to eat before I'm we do this. So you need to eat. I tried. We... I tried. Aaron, did you get that? Yeah. Pizza. <laughs> Remember Tim Curry and a pizza from Home Alone 2? Courtesy of the Plaza Hotel. You. Yeah. Pizza. And a pizza. Now I'm just going to say it like Tim Curry. Oh, my God. Where are my Home Alone 2 peeps at? Nowhere great. Now we get something that could be significant. Okay. It's interestingly worded. Uh Uh-huh. Someone who was identified as Lizzie Borden tried to buy prussic acid the day before the murders. In 1892, prussic acid, a lethal poison, was only available with a doctor's prescription. Somebody said, a woman who looks like Lizzie Borden tried to buy this acid from me. Right. That means nothing to me. Right. Like, and the yeah. 18, everyone was using cyanide. People were using shit well, for shit all the time. They say, Kara, the woman you hate, the author that you hate, is back. Because she's here to say that Lizzie went to the pharmacist and said, I need this prussic acid because I'm going to use it to put an edge on a seal cape yeah. or whatever. And according to Kara, it's like super common knowledge that Lizzie Borden had seal capes. I guess. But the pharmacist was like, I've never heard this used for that reason. Therefore, I'm not going to sell it to you because it would be like selling it's selling you poison. So anyway, she can't get it, but this comes out after she becomes a suspect. Some pharmacist somewhere is like, oh, but by the way, she also tried to buy this, like, poison the day before. Right. So what they're theorizing is that she didn't get the poison, so she just used what she could find around the house. Which which is this handleless hatchet. At which point, Erin Moriarty goes, the hatchet. Oh, the hatchet. As though she's hearing it for the first time. Also, it's a handleless hatchet? (laughs) Erin says, like, as though she was like, oh, oh, the hatchet. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Also, not an allegedly in sight, not a support. <laughs> this that 1045 a.m. timeline is written in stone. <laughs> Says who? I know. Come on. I know. Totally. And they didn't even say, let's slow down on it. It was right. like someone who kind of maybe could be Lizzie Borden, but probably not right. tried to buy this poison. Exactly. They were just like, here's the facts. Totally. <laughs> 48 hours. I thought we were reinvestigating I this. Know. It doesn't feel like it to me. Not a Rabia anywhere. <laughs> Can you imagine a Rabia on the Lizzie Borden case? Can we get Lori Davis in here no. for a second? She'd be an expert on all of this. She's an expert on snapping turtles. I know. I'll oh say my that God. to everyone I meet. So Lizzie Borden is arrested for murder. On June 5th, 1893, 10 months after her arrest, Lizzie Borden sat in the Superior Court in New Bedford, Massachusetts, in this very chair on trial for murder. Erin Moriarty's very excited to show us the chair from the trial. I can't believe this. Yeah. Yeah. I can't that they believe saved? They, that saved they saved the fucking chair yeah. that she sat in for the trial is still there in the New Bedford Superior Court. That's it's crazy. Un- 
real. And I feel like it's in use. I feel like is there like a plaque on it or something? I don't think so. I think it's just like the chair then that how like do the defendant sits it's in. The chair. I, I believe Erin Moriarty. I believe her too. You know what I mean? I, I like she. She had me at just say it was cheap. I, but like the Lizzie Borden chair, that is wild. I know, crazy. that is wild. And so then this is when Erin goes. It was the trial of the century. The 19th century. And I'm like, Keith Morrison's job is taken. Totally. Thank you so much, Aaron. But loving you. Did you all see the Keith Morrison duetted us on, <laughs> on fucking TikTok? Keith Morrison duetted us. As Keith says, public records. Right. <laughs> Pronounces it records because he's fancy. And a thousand. Hey, only 999, if you don't mind, for the record. For, for the, the record. Because <laughs> I said he said it fancily. Yes, go to our TikTok. Fam, I'm telling you, our TikTok is good. True Crime Episodes Pod. Go find us. Find the Keith Morrison duet. It's pinned. If you want to be like Keith, oh go my watch God. our TikTok. I'm getting like really, whoo. Okay? I'm very excited about the Keithness. <laughs> so Keith. the first day of the trial, the ties to today are incredible. I know. Because they're saying like, it's exactly what you saw at the Scott Peterson trial, at the Jody Arias trial, at any of these big trials. It is a line around the block. Everyone's lined up since eight o'clock last night. Right. trying to get in. And women especially were obsessed. Yeah, women were obsessed. Well, they and could watch the trial, but of course not be on the jury. No, they can't be on the jury, but somebody said, somebody makes the salient point, Kara, who you hate, was saying that, like, the thing was... I don't hate Kara. <laughs> okay. For the record. For the record. For the <laughs> But they're saying that this was the trial of a woman who seemed to have transcended the limits of her sex in such a violent way. Uh, the women, I think, were curious to see the monster. They thought she was a monster, but they were fascinated by her. Like, this woman would dare. That she could do this brutal, gruesome thing. Exactly. And we also learned, or did I goog this? I can't remember. But women weren't allowed to serve on a jury in Massachusetts until 1951. That is just bananas. 51. That is, I, I would love to know where it was in other places. I know. You know? Enough like, time. was Massachusetts really far behind? Yeah. And so, we're with the attorneys and the two, like, the expert defense attorney and the, the prosecutor. Paid, paid the experts. Pa- they are paid, paid experts. Paid, paid very well. Yeah, now I don't want to get sued. <laughs> but they're saying that like there was nothing that remarkable about this trial. It looks exactly like the way a murder trial would go today. And they say based on the transcripts like legally the yeah. same maneuvers would have been used today. Totally. There were also three judges. Three judges and 12 men. Well it's interesting because our appeals process now if you go to like a regular court level a yeah. judge or a jury decides and then the appellate level is where you get that three judge panel. Yeah. So it's interesting that they were starting there. Yeah. So anyway on the first day of the trial the process Execution opens with the idea that Lizzie Borden is the only person who could have done it. But it was how he wrapped up his open that stunned the courtroom. He alludes to the fact that he has the skulls of the victims. The actual heads of the victims in the courtroom. Yes, and uh, Lizzie Borden responds by fainting. Lizzie Borden fucking faints. I thought he like presents them like a piece of theater. I don't know. They say alludes to. Oh, okay. But I'm just saying, Lizzie Borden pulls the Patrick and just fucking passes out. Fault just completely <laughs> passed out. With like, one eye open. <laughs> How'd it go? I feel like Lizzie Borden would have been something to watch. She's got to put on a show. Everyone in the world is there to see this. Lizzie Borden is putting on a fucking show. Yeah, but lawyers today would be like, shut up. Yeah, exactly. Don't put on a show. Stop it with your fainting. Yeah, look so, do nothing, and then everyone will hate you anyway. So you can't win. Totally. Bye. But the prosecution calls a bunch of witnesses, and they lay out evidence of who would have been killed first. And this yeah. is really important, because this goes to motive. Right. We learned that if Andrew had been killed first, Abby's family would have gotten some of the money. 
But if Abby, the stepmom, was killed first, all of the money goes to Lizzie and Emma. Right. Which I thought was really an interesting... I don't know. That, yeah. that seems like a weird... You know what I mean? It's a pretty important detail. For If the motive really is they wanted the money or they were yes. upset about that. Because we know that Abby was killed first. And under that scenario, all the money goes to Lizzie and Emma. And I gotta say, too, that like if the timeline really is right, yeah. and that means that Abby was dead upstairs for two hours, hours before the dad was killed, it seems impossible to me that Lizzie wouldn't have known. It was actually Lizzie and Emma's job to make up the guest room, but okay. like Abby had gone up there ahead of them to sort of like straighten the pillows or whatever. Uh-huh. So you would think that like if they didn't know that she was dead, Lizzie would have gone up there to do her chores or something. She also could have been lying. Well, what I'm saying is that, like that may, that's a point in she's in the favor of like she's the killer. Oh, okay. I was you like, know? wait, she could have been lying about all this to everybody. Right. Did I miss something? No, it, it, it turns yeah, yeah, out I absolutely did miss something. <laughs> Great. Now we get the evidence that the hatchet in the basement matches the wounds on the bodies. So that's another important fact. And also, remember the poison? Or maybe she did, maybe she didn't. Yeah. 48 Hours says they were not allowed to hear about her attempt to buy poison. Was it Lizzie or not? And the reason that they were not allowed to hear about it is because we don't know if it was her. We have no idea. And everyone's like, Erin Moriarty, and everyone is like, well, that's just shocking. And I'm like, wait, but we don't know if it was her or not. So why are we Someone identified as Lizzie Borden. Oh, oh, look, a man in 1982 made a good decision about a woman for once like that should not have been allowed no, at all absolutely not so after nine days the prosecution rests the defense goes to work they try to tell a story the defense is much more interested in in telling a story that she's just an ordinary person caught in this unbelievably horrible situation Clearly, there's a lack of evidence. And then there's a second part of, hey, we just don't think that she did this. They point to the lack of evidence, which is true. Remember, though Lizzie would have been in the house with a dead body for two hours, there's no blood on her when the neighbor comes over right after the dad is killed. Right. And the defense calls her sister, Emma, to the stand. And she's a very powerful witness, we learn. And because remember that dress that was burned? Yeah. Emma goes on the stand to take all the credit. She said, it was absolutely my idea. Lizzie had nothing to do with it. That's not suspicious at all, right? That now... Yeah, it's also like, there's... So much, like they were saying earlier, like anyone could get away with anything back then. Like who's going to know? Who's going to discredit that? Right. You know? It's everyone's word against everyone else's at this point. Yeah. And Lizzie doesn't testify. She makes a statement saying, I leave it to my counsel to speak for me. And the case goes to the jury. Now, this goes on to be one of the most infamous cases in all of like the history of the world. Yeah. The jury is out for two hours. So the trial's over in three weeks. Yeah. And the jury goes to deliberate. And according to all the drawings, like 500 people are standing there staring at them like this. (laughs) You ready? You done? Just like milling around the courtroom trying to eavesdrop. They have glasses to the wall trying to listen. Very Sophia and the Golden Girls. Yeah, they're like tapping, their arms crossed, tapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's going on? So maybe that's why they came back in two hours. Two hours the jury is out. And then we get this crazy story that like everyone's trying to be serious except for the foreman who's like super excited and cannot contain himself. The foreman, it's reported, blurts out not guilty. That's me back in 1892. Not guilty! <laughs> and like Lizzie falls into her chair as if shot, we're told. Yeah, and the courtroom cheers. Everyone outside cheers. Because this is where you really start to see people believed she was innocent. Yeah. Like 
All of my life, every time I've heard this story up until now, I was shocked to find out that she was found not guilty. Yeah, she's sort of painted as a character that's from like the 1600s, yes, not the late 1800s. Totally. That she's sort of like walk, lurking around the forest, that she was this like evil problem child yeah. who just like had had enough and hacked her parents to death. And you learn now like that wasn't it at all. And people in her church was there to back her up. Yeah. People believed she was innocent. Now, a lot of it is because nobody could believe at the time that a woman right. could do something like this. Of Either she wasn't strong enough or she didn't have like the physical constitution enough or whatever. Yeah, small brain, weak arms. Come on. Exa- but that's literally it. Uh, she absolutely. got off because nobody believed that a woman could do and this. And that's why the women were like, oh, we can do this? Oh, right. shit. <laughs> so now, jump to 2020, we are putting this trial back in front of a fucking jury. A jury of men and, and women, women, as Aaron really wants And they're all to paid. Know. Everyone's paid. Everyone's paid, everybody. <laughs> Everyone's paid. Aaron, I appreciate you letting us know, know. but it's like 25 bucks and a, sub, a Subway tuna sandwich, no, right? They're not, they're, and may, maybe chips if they're lucky. Number one, a Subway tuna sandwich is fucking delicious. That's why I said it. I'm just saying. I know how much you love it. But also, they say that they found a jury of people who had, quote, never heard of Lizzie Borden. I, mean, I am calling bullshit on 48 hours. Maybe that's why they only had eight jurors and not 12. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Eight people who had never heard of Lizzie Borden. Or like, because I'm assuming that they did it like in the area where it happened. I don't know. Like, that seems crazy to me that there are people, no one, you didn't see the Meredith Baxter Bernie movie? Probably not. That's bananas. That is crazy. That is crazy that you wouldn't take the time to watch the Meredith Baxter (laughs) Bernie movie. Do it right now. Right now. That's everyone's homework. So they make the point, it's very important to Aaron Moriarty, this is not a retrial. It's a presentation. And I went, oh, it's not binding. We're not actually going to like put Lizzie Borden behind bars. We're going to dig her up and throw her in a fucking Come on, Lizzie, get out. (laughs) And she's like, this is not a retrial, but a presentation argued by our consulting attorneys in their own words without any guidance from us. Using their own words with no guidance from 48 right. Hours. Meanwhile, we'll get to all the presence that 48 <laughs> Hours has when they're when they're reviewing the case. Because the people who are trying the case are the lawyers we've been seeing the whole time. Right, the experts. And the only, witness that we, the only witnesses that we get are the two that we've been with the whole time. And, like, the transcripts. So they're presenting yes. Lizzie Borden's, like, tra- like, all the transcripts as, like, witnesses. Yes, and the, the important thing is the only evidence that can be presented in this trial is evidence that was presented in the original trial. So they can't talk about the poison the same way they couldn't the first right. time. Anything we've learned since then, they can't talk about. And the second rule is all the facts should be presumed to be true. Yeah. Which I don't even know what that means. Just like blindly accept. Like the facts are the facts. You can't argue like, but what was the timeline 1045? Right. The timeline's 1045. Make yeah. your decision based on that uh-huh. alone. Don't argue semantics. Right. And so when the prosecutor gives her opening statement, we learned something that I didn't know before. That the night before the murders, apparently Lizzie Borden went to a friend's house. The implication here is that she was planting seeds, that she's telling the friend, like, oh, I'm so afraid of my dad's friends. They're so mean and they're so scary and they're so, they're out to get me or whatever. Yeah. She, out of nowhere, volunteered. She'd been feeling depressed and so worried about many nameless, faceless enemies that her father had. And she left with this, I'm afraid something's going to happen. I'm afraid something is a going to happen. A going to happen. (laughs) 
Nameless, faceless enemies. But like that is interesting that she goes to the friend's house the night before the murder and says, I think something's gonna happen, and then the next day her parents are killed. Yeah, so it could it could be that maybe like her fears came true and she's not a murderer. Right. Or, or she's planting seeds. Exactly. We'll never know. So the defense gets up. Of course, all the all the defense has to point to is that there there's no blood. No. If she killed the guy, if she killed these people, she'd be covered in blood. There's no blood anywhere. Right. And they're saying basically their point is like, this is a great story, but there's no evidence. Totally. So they call the crime scene witnesses to the stand. One of the experts who like clearly believes Lizzie did it. Yeah. Is saying well, that's their job. That's their job. She's saying that these wounds could be inflicted without a lot of blood, but she's saying without a lot of blood, not no blood. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Because it wouldn't just be blood on Lizzie and her clothes and her body. Like there'd be blood on the wall. There'd be blood on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but like if you're gonna hit somebody like that, twenty there's like cast off with a hatchet. Of yeah. course, there'd be blood on the ceiling. Yeah, it'd be everywhere. Yeah, and they're also trying to say that if there aren't any defense wounds, which they apparently there weren't, then yeah. they must have known their attacker. I just want to say too that like the fact that there's no blood also points to Lizzie. I think that she changed her dress and or that whatever. She cleaned it up because yeah. even if like somebody else came in and did the murder, there would still be the blood. Like the murderer is not going to clean it uh-huh. up. You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So like it is very suspicious that there's no blood anywhere. It's good for Lizzie that there's no blood on her because right. there would be, but that there's no blood anywhere doesn't make any sense. Could really go either way. <laughs> it could really go either way. Get your popcorn so DNA out. would be real helpful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Or like blood spatter. Like Anything. any. Yeah. Did they know to look at the ceiling? <laughs> Nobody looked. Am at the I ceiling. really talking a lot of shit about 1892? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, really, in the grand scheme. It of was things. a real long time. Am ago. I acting like it was like caveman times? But it kind of was. Okay. They didn't have indoor plumbing. Well, he didn't. Right. <laughs> Because he wouldn't pay for it. Right, exactly. But the real question is, can you get a Cosmo anywhere? That's the question. If the answer is no, it's ancient times. It's the Cosmo times. was invented at the Rainbow Room. I don't know the year, but I could probably I could probably find out quickly. Okay, I'm going to guess the 50s. Okay. Great. So, yeah, medieval times is where, yeah. what we're talking about. So, the prosecution rests, the defense rests, and now the jury deliberates. The paid in, jury. Yeah, the paid jury deliberates in front of everybody. To go for first-degree murder of both victims... There has to be malice and forethought, and I don't believe that was proven. You know, you could, I mean, these are two different counts, so mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could decide that she's guilty of one and not guilty of the other. Aaron's like, hey, this is all everyone's own ideas. <laughs> Meanwhile, these eight people are deliberating in front of the lawyers, yeah. the 48 Hours cameras, Erin Moriarty, who's standing at the head of the table looking at them <laughs> and correcting them. She is part of this whole thing because once a host, always a host. <laughs> She knows she's yeah. running this show. A hundred percent. And so they basically, like, they kind of hem and haw. They agree, like, there's a motive, and then, but what was the motive? But then and some of them start saying, well, like, well, she definitely killed the mom, but she probably didn't kill the dad. Well, that doesn't make what sense. What are you Let's talking Let's throw about? that right out of there. Right Stop talking. That's, no. <laughs> that does not make sense. Erin, yeah. we could have used you here to get everyone right back on track. Honest to God. That's but not what happens. It comes down to, like, essentially seven of the eight say, yeah, she's guilty. And then one holdout saying she didn't kill Abby. Right. And there's two holdouts saying she didn't kill the dad. Right. But everybody else is like, yeah, she did it. Also, did you notice those two people that were sitting in those high top chairs? Who the hell were they? I don't know. They weren't introduced. <laughs> They're not part of the jury. They're just sitting watching. They're not an expert. I don't know. I have no idea who they are. I were. don't know. Amazing. But like essentially this jury from 2020 is basically saying like, yeah, she did it. Except we don't have enough evidence to, they make this whole distinction in the end between like, did she do it? Probably. Was there enough evidence to convict her? No, there wasn't. And that's because of the 1892 of it all. Right. So it's a hung jury for both counts, to which I say thanks a lot, 48 hours. Right. <laughs> but now. They never promised we were going to get to the bottom of they it. They didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the prosecutor says. I feel like. Like we've solved 
the mystery of Lizzie Borden. We just haven't solved whether she should have been found guilty or not. Yeah. Because it's a very different question. I think that that's the best way to say it. And maybe that's the beauty of, of the system, and maybe it's not. The defense lawyer says, yeah, you know, I think that's the beauty of our justice system. <laughs> or maybe not. And I'm like, I'm going with not. <laughs> There is no beauty no. of our justice system. It's, no. And what are you... T- the beauty? <laughs> it's all fucking bad. It's I a barren t- wasteland. Burn it all down and let's start again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So then... Okay, thanks a lot, 48 Hours. Yeah, actually, what happens to them afterwards is fascinating. Right, so Lizzie and Emma immediately moved out of the, quote, cramped house. Because they inherited $350,000, which is the equivalent of $10 million. My friend, you could have put a fucking bathroom in. <laughs> this Jesus. is what I'm saying. You have $10 million in the bank. You could have put in one bathroom. And he's bathroom. buying houses for what's-her-name's half-sibling, totally. who I'm sure was, like, a real hoot. I'm <laughs> saying that sarcastically. <laughs> so Lizzie and Emma buy their dream house. It's yeah. at, like, the top of the hill it's, in a rich part of town. But they stay in town. Like, that's the crazy part. But Lizzie changed her name. She stopped yes. going by Lizzie. She went by Lizbeth. Yes. And she is ostracized. She's kicked out of the church that supported her. Because this was, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, people start to come around. Like, over because she lives another 25 years or something. Yeah. People start to really be like, no, wait a second. If it wasn't her, then who was it? And that makes me be like, well, then why were you so quick to support her in the first place? I know. The church decides she did it. The town decides she did it. And then Sister Emma decides that Lizzie did it and cuts all ties. They never speak to each other again. We learned that, like, we don't know what, but Emma saw some shit in the new house they bought that really freaked her the fuck out yeah. and made her convinced that Lizzie was responsible. Cut all ties. They never spoke again and then died with in nine days of each other. I know. And the real kicker, they bury Emma and Lizzie next to the dad and the stepmom that Lizzie probably killed. Oh my God. And then it ends with that horrifying poem that, I, that the experts are reading it I line know. by line. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. We just learned it's not true. I know. <laughs> it's a bullshit, <laughs> sensationalized nonsense. You're right. 48 hours. <laughs> no. Oh, girl, we did the Lizzie Borden thing for 48 hours. That we was did it. wild. Wild ride. I don't know. Where do you land? I don't know. I wish I had. I don't think we'll ever really know. We no. don't have a lot of information. Like It feels like a game of telephone now that started in 1892, and, and I don't I really know the truth. I wonder why this case is so famous still. Like, you know, if you listen to Crimes of the Centuries, the Amber Hunt yeah. podcast. Yeah, of course. There are so many. The whole point of that podcast is to, like, cover cases that, like, made a huge impact. They were huge right. when they happened, and then you forget about them. Yeah. There's hundreds of those cases. Yeah. Why is Lizzie Borden the one that we still talk about? I think it's because it sort of became that thing of legend, like, through the yeah. years, even it's now. It's in Massachusetts. So it does you know, get connected to the witch and thing. And it has nothing to do with it. I know. So I hundreds think people, of years later. People thought it was sort of back then. And yeah. she sort of lived it. She never married and lived in the old house on the hill. Yeah. And I think it sort of became this like legend. Crazy. That's like, not really based in all that much reality. No. Well, yeah. fam, here's what I'm going to say. Go follow Obsessed Fest on the Instagram. So you yes. can watch the story highlights. It's the little bubbles underneath yes. like the thing. So you just tap on them. We have like 200 stories saved. Oh That's God. where we're going to drop all the announcements about when tickets are going on sale for year two. Yep. All the information. Go follow us there. Join us on the Patreon, over 350 full ad-free bonus episodes. We finished Bad Vegan. Now we're into the Hillsong wildness. Yeah, we did The Vow and Serial Season 1. Yeah, so join us there. Follow us on the TikTok. 
TikTok. You want go watch Keith Morrison duet us. It's True Crime Obsessed Pod. And then I duetted him. It was a whole thing. Oh my god. And lastly, join the Facebook group. Yes. That's where you're gonna meet all your new friends. Yep. You've been hearing so much in the Facebook group about like what a community oh. Obsessed Fest was. The Facebook group is Obsessed Fest, but Obsessed Fest isn't happening. Yes. It's community and friends and people sharing their dog memes and their kids yep. and their weddings and talking about the episodes. It's a, such a fun place to be. It's right where we go when we want to talk to the fam. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. That's it. So what are we doing next, girl? We are doing, all right, I teased this at Obsessed Fest. Oh my goodness. If you came to our VIP panel. Before I was there. The, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Scream, the true story on yes! Discovery Plus. You know, Scream is like my favorite movie. I know. I think I didn't know that. <laughs> I knew that How you knew that. Dare you. I know. Everyone's a suspect. I love Jamie Kennedy. That. Anyway. My lawyer liked that. <laughs> That's actually Scream 3. I know it's Scream 3. God damn it. It's, so it's on Discovery Plus. Because we're in the middle of spooky season, yeah. it is the true story that Scream is based on that murder, but it's a paranormal investigation of it. Crazy. So we're going, we're doing, we're kind of gonna try to do it all. We'll see. <laughs> and I did it for you because I know how much oh, you love Scream. Oh, I love you so love much. You. All right, fam, we love you. Stay tuned for the trailer for that. Yep. Our ridiculous outtakes. That's yeah. it. We love you. Okay, yeah, no, that's it, but we love you, and that's like a big deal. Yeah, it's a okay. huge show. So it's not like that's it, but it's like that's it for now. That's so we it for really now. have to go. <laughs> okay, okay, bye. <laughs> One of the most chilling and successful blockbuster horror movie franchises of all time. A mass killer stalks and slashes young women to death. But what horror fans don't know is Scream was inspired by a real-life serial killer. Danny, are you here with us? For the first time ever. Why did you kill? We will conduct a paranormal investigation of his hunting grounds. There's no doubt that we're communicating with the spirit of Danny right now. This is the horrifying true story behind the movie, Scream. The house is, quote, oddly enough a bread and back. Aaron Moriarty says the house is, quote, oddly enough a bread and <laughs> this has been all day trying to say I, anything. I know, to my... I know. Say the house today. Yeah. Aaron says, Aaron Moriarty. I'm not yeah. going to say Moriarty because I'll just start screaming at like a Sherlock. <laughs> Everyone knows what yeah, 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 yeah. Patrick. Patrick seems to be fixated on a cocktail. <laughs> Again, this happens throughout. It's two in the afternoon. I'm going to need a drink. No one wants to see what happens if I don't get one. You really don't want to see it. Where's Bridget, that lesbian? I need her. I've seen it. It's not, not cute. Trump's in that. I don't watch that part. I but Tim Curry's also in it. What's a girl to do? <laughs> Anything can happen on Halloween. Your dog can turn into a cat. It is, is Tim Curry season, everyone. Tambourine. 